Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines. And this is your host, Brian Perkins. You know, I have to beg your indulgence with me today. I'm losing my voice a bit. Um, We've had a busy, busy week. Um, This is in celebration of 10 years of the Perkins platform. Been on, started in 2012. And Before I knew it, we were already at 10 years. We've had a great week. We started out at the top of the week with Alina Adams, um, who talked with us about when grades and test scores don't match, parents are confused. Um, Then a special panel that went on for 90 minutes on Tuesday, Black Men Don't Cry. And then we went to Why Leaders Lie. Um, with professor and author Eric Alterman. Tonight, we have a special panel of current school leaders, and we're talking about what's changed in public school education leadership. And tomorrow, we actually have an open forum on education leadership live from the campus of Teachers College, Columbia University in New York City with leaders and aspiring leaders on um, education leadership, and they're going to be talking about whatever they want in education leadership. What's special about tomorrow, too, is that we're going to simulcast this as a YouTube live uh, broadcast. So join us tomorrow, but we're glad to have with us three dynamic school leaders that are coming from a variety of places all over the U.S., and I'm excited to talk to them. Um, who are going to share with us a bit about um, some of what has changed, and not necessarily just in the short term, but what they've seen change, expectations and aspirations they have in school leadership. Um, So let me introduce in no particular order. Um, First, we have um, Kilsis Batista, who is a uh, um, principal in uh, Tampa, Florida, And we have um, Keisha McCoy-Daly, who is a principal in Brooklyn, New York. And um, finally, we have uh, Sing-Yu, who is a principal right here in Manhattan. Um, So welcome, all of you. Thank you, Dr. Perkins. Thank thank you, Dr. Perkins. Yes. So glad to have you. So let let me just start out. Um, you know, I, I teach a number of courses in organization and leadership in, in education, and one of the places that I start in one of my first lectures is actually talking about how much schools have changed. You know, just in the last 50, 60 years, how much schools have, have changed their focus, um, the services, um, and and Today, I have you here to talk about how much the principalship has changed. So leadership has, with 
schools changed a lot too. So I'd like, and I'd just open it up for any of you to start out talking. Um, tell us a little bit about um, how long you've been a principal, but kind of like what you've seen, and let's start there. Um, just with what you've seen uh, um, since you started, and some of the biggest shifts you've seen in the in your tenure as a school leader. So I can I can start. Uh, this is saying you. Um, and first of all, congratulations, Dr. Perkins, uh, on all the, the great podcasts. Um, so I was a principal pre-COVID. Uh, I opened up a school. I worked in the district office, and then I came back into the principalship uh, right at the start of uh, August 2020 uh, when COVID hit. Um, you know, you made a point around, uh, you know, schools have changed. And, and what I think is um, what's being asked of folks has changed, uh, the, the being more dynamic, being adaptive, I think the complexities of schools have dramatically uh, changed in the sense that there's just so much at stake. Um, and that's also just kind of in parallel to all the things that are happening in society. I think, uh, you know, educators and particularly school leaders are being asked to manage a variety of, of people, programs, um, and all the things that are happening, you know, around the school. And so I think what's being asked and required of school leaders uh, is really immense. And I think, you know, again, you're seeing some of the exodus of, of school leaders leaving, um, but I think it's because of the complexity that has become schools, uh, the ask of all of us, um, particularly in, you know, nurturing young people, but also nurturing the adults who nurture young people, uh, and, and kind of being the stability in a community uh, for, you know, not only kids and, and our staff, but the entire community, particularly parents and families. Um, I think it is dramatically changed and shifted, while also, while also at the same time, um, there's still a lot of things that are still antiquated, you know, particularly around, um, you know, compliance and the things that are that are being asked of schools. So I think uh, overall uh, the complexity of schools and how schools are run and operated and what uh, we're expected to achieve has just has, have dramatically changed and has been magnified uh, as a result of COVID. Mm -hmm. So I can see from Okay. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. okay, hi, sorry. Hi, Dr. Perkins. Uh, my name is Keisha McCoy Daly, and I am a principal in Brooklyn, as you introduced me. And I've been a principal here for approximately six years. And I can say a lot of things have changed, and I can really focus so much on technology, um, really, really honing into it more, especially after uh, the pandemic um, and even during the pandemic. So many of my teachers and even me, a lot of the things that um, I wouldn't have usually done on using technology, I, it was forced to do that. Um, so, you know, students using technology more, uh, ensuring that my, my staff was trained with technology technology more, um, the parents were trained to technology more, and that is something that not only did we um, uh, implement, you know, through, through uh, COVID and, you know, pre and post, but more so after post, and we kept a lot of those great things. Um, so to me, it's been a huge shift to ensuring that that is something that is truly embedded. And, you know, at the end of it all, it was something great because those who were fearful of it had no choice. You know, they, they had to because that's, that's what we were, you know, mandated to do when we went um, 
when we had to go uh, uh, virtual so um, and remote. So it was something that was forced, and at, at the end of it all, it worked out. So that's something that I think that has truly shifted, really, really implementing technology in our day. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I agree with um, everything that has been shared so far. This is Kilsey Batista from Tampa. Definitely um, we have seen a lot of um, things added to our plate, as people would like to say. But the pandemic really has um, allowed us to shift our, our way of work into um, introducing our, our teachers and our parents to what else is out there, how else can we help children in education by introducing more technology, like Keisha was saying. One of the things that I have experienced the biggest um, differences and the biggest change is in, in being able to really take time to address um, the heart the heart of the staff and the community because trust is so important. Um, yeah. So I've been a principal for about seven years total, so pre-pandemic and post, but I've had to change my um, leadership focus in the last few years to make sure that I was building that trust within my community and my teachers so that we um, people felt safe coming to school, felt like they, that it was still worthwhile, that we were still doing the right things. So as a leader, you know, I did have to really think about what are some things that I'm going to have to really stop for the moment and bring back later, you know. So the, the feedback, the coaching, the modeling, while they still occurred, I had to also take time to make sure that I'm meeting the emotional needs of everyone who I was responsible for. So that's a personal just experience that I've had to feel in the change over the years with sure. the pandemic especially. Sure, sure. You know, I've, I've talked to a number of um, leaders from all over the country and actually just all over the world that are saying the same thing, particularly um, kind of emerging from the pandemic, that um, it, it really feels as though uh, the first thing of kind of the first point of order to be around adjusting uh, people to to being in the space again. And that was reestablishing not, not just kind of your rules and regulations, but reestablishing relationships and sense of trust, right? Um, but that, that it was, that was definitely uh, first on their agendas, um, you know, which, which leads me to, you know, I, even throughout the pandemic, I did shows where I had psychiatrists, you know, from, you know, the, the National um, Association of, of Adolescent and Pediatric Psychiatry and, and sociologists and psychologists all talking about what they uh, anticipated at the time uh, around, you know, whether children, how children were going to respond. Now, I want to get to adults in just a moment, but everyone and I mean everyone, when pressed, um, said that, well, you know, children are resilient and that kids are going to be fine. And But what I'm hearing is that there's a lot that's not okay. Um, and those come from a lot of different places. So I, I guess tell us um, what, if anything, do you see as different kind of like just as, 
as shifts occur, I know that we're talking about different groups of people, but as shifts occur, what are you seeing that among students that is it is it basically the same? Are students coming in? But I'm hearing, you know, that some things have changed. But what's been your experience? Well, I guess I can too in regards to D75. Some of the things that have been different for the students, of course, is attendance. So, uh, you know, being uh, remote for a while, then coming back and being having the blended, the hybrid, and all these other different models that came back, um, the attendance went down. I also had a decrease in attendance because people moved. Many people just didn't want to be in uh, New York, and they transitioned to other bor- other uh, bor- boroughs, which were not in Brooklyn, and they transferred different to their child to a different school, and some even went out of state. So um, I had, you know, an attendance, not an issue, but it just a decrease, and I had to continuously have an attendance team that would reach out to the kid to the families to see where they were and to keep track of them because once they are on my roster, they are my responsibility. So that was one thing. Another thing I could say with the students, you know, being out for so long, they did um, their, I would say, many of their IEP goals, especially working with District 75, my school, I'm 100%. My, all of my students have IEPs. So, you know, they started a recovery program where we really honed into IEP goals and really worked on IEP goals. And also one thing that was also a setback was like social-emotional so that many of the students being home didn't have that leisure to really like, you know, hang out with their friends and meet with their friends or talk to their friends. So that was something that we had to bring them back in and really tap into and really build in some mindfulness and build in some other social emotional uh, programs so that we can get them back on track academically, socially, and emotionally. So, you know, that's what took a toll with the students on my end. And um, are they 100% there yet? No, um, because we're still working on, you know, bringing back those skills that we will always work on, but it was just definitely a huge setback when we when they were home and, and transitioning back into um into the school community. Wow, yes. So I, I can say I can tell Keisha where the New Yorkers went. They came down to Florida. We <laughs> <laughs> have talked about that. You're right. <laughs> so yeah, many of them did transition to Florida from, and Texas. <laughs> this is Kilsey from Tampa. And one of the yes. things that's a little different in Florida is that we, we were open. So even during the pandemic, um, most of our students were still doing in-person school. And one of the things that we've noticed is that my um, approach to the staff on strategies to really hone in on and focus in on has to do around um, students being collaborative, um, being able to communicate a thought, um, being able to be expressive in their creativity, so really looking at those 21st century skills and giving them more opportunities to practice that because even though we were in person, we had to be socially distanced. We had to wear masks. So we weren't allowed to do some of the things that in society we have to learn how to do because we know that in the real world we have to work collaboratively. So that's something that um, as a leader I've had to work with my team, with my teachers, to really make sure the opportunities are in place right now so that we're teaching those skill sets that over the past couple of years we haven't been able to really do. Mm. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think we just want to add on to that. I think kind of a combination of a few things where we've seen some changes. We work with, I work with 
um, high school age students. And I think just some of the social norms that as a result of being remote, at least in New York, um, for you know a year and a half, I think, you know, there was an over reliance on technology and I think you know, I think we're all struggling to figure out that balance. Not only students but young people too, you know, an over reliance on social media, over reliance on being on the cell phone. Um, I don't know if other schools experience this, but I imagine they did, where, you know, kids were constantly on their phone. Uh and that instant gratification or that like being in the know or um I think really has been prominent. Uh, and what that did, at least in the year and a half where kids were remote, I think it also, you know, uh, created some isolation. I think those things that you see in the school where there's kind of natural collisions and spontaneous interactions, you know, mm-hmm. when you're remote, you had to do that much more intentionally, uh, and it took a concerted effort. And I don't know how many students were, were doing that. Um, and if they were doing it, they good chance they might have been using technology to do so. Um, mm. So I think you know, what what you're seeing or what we're seeing is, like how do we find the balance between using technology in an instructive and constructive way for young people while also recognizing that's kind of been part of our society and um, and how do you kind of reteach or create the conditions where some of these social norms, these places where young people, you know, get to engage with one another, learn some of the ways in which you, you know, interact with others or in groups. I think we're all, you know, big pieces. And I think that also even in, impacted the adults as well. I mean, I was at an event where, you know, we had speakers and the entire audience kept talking, you know, because like they hadn't seen each other. And um, But, you know, usually the norm is when you have a, a speaker, you're listening to the speaker and the, and the audience is quiet. Um, but I've been in quite a few events where I've seen throughout, not only in school but beyond, where, like, some of those norms went off the door. And I think, um, mm. having to kind of re-engage with that. Um, and I just, you know, lastly, I think a lot of these things are just what's happening across society, right? It's what you see. Uh, so some of the friction, I think there's a lot to learn and there's a lot of things that we need to kind of reassess uh, and hopefully get back to some level of stability. No, I, I understand. You know, I'd, I'd love to to hear you expand a little bit about, you know, the fact that, um, you know, students, um, having been uh, it, at home, uh, many of them um, maybe with a, one sibling, but where those norms have shifted around, you know, what you can and cannot do. You know, you, you don't have the ability to uh, excuse yourself at any moment, right? Just just one quick example. Um, or, or that there are... Um, in some ways, norms around engagement with other people that have changed because you were on you were on a screen or you were um, you know you you didn't have as many opportunities to talk. Um, what do you see socially between students? And that's what I'd love to hear um, a little more about too. Is that that has shifted a bit? That's a great question. I mean, I. You know, we were remote for a year, and then last year we were back in person. Um, and I think just, again, you know, what I saw was some trepidation, just even like with the social distancing. You know, most of our kids wore masks. It's like, how do you engage with people again? And particularly folks, students you may not know. Um, I think, you know, we didn't explicitly teach that, right? Like I think particularly at the high school level, I think there's always these assumptions that, you know, 
they'll figure it out. Kids will figure it out. They'll just know. But I think uh, that was something that, like, I was struggling with uh, as an adult. Like, okay, are people comfortable? Like, if I stand too close or not? And then, right, right. Um, and 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 I think young people struggled with that. And I don't think you know many of them said like, oh well, how, how should I go about doing that? Uh, but I think it was really noticeable and. Um, you know, I think young people are still struggling with that, and, and the more that we can kind of get back to some level of stability um, and get mm-hmm. back to some of those norms, I think that that's going to, again, create more familiarity, maybe more uh, routines. Um, but I think that was, I think we're still struggling with that, and and kind of laying out, you know, it's okay, it's getting better, hopefully getting better, that we can engage in those types of interactions again that we had pre-COVID. Um, and I think people are longing for that. I think it's just a little bit of trepidation and still figuring it out um, about how to best proceed. They are definitely longing for that. Um, so this is Kilsey from Tampa. One of the things that I did before the end of the school year um, last year was meet with parents and just ask them what are some things that they would like to see return to school. And what they want do is be at schools. They want the celebrations again. They want their children to be excited about learning again. And so mm-hmm. I was telling, um, saying that, that we actually started uh, school already in Florida, so today was our second day, and the joy on the campus, the excitement from our parents in feeling like we're returning back to the ways where our students were able to engage with one another more. Teachers are excited. Now they're very tired. Um, because the first couple days are, are a lot, but we're managing through. And I was saying I'm so excited for this school year because I'm going to be able to go back to some of the things that I was able to focus in more um, prior to the pandemic. So being more of that that instructional leader, which is really what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I can definitely piggyback over that. It's Keisha from uh, New York. And I can say, I can remember um, when we had our first, like, event and we had someone come into the school and actually perform. And although I had to stagger the time, but just everyone being together in a space, that was a big space where you could still spread out and we had all the, you know, the windows open and it was still comfortable and people felt safe. It was just a great feeling. Um, Some of the challenges, yeah, it was such a great feeling. And you felt the energy. Like, everybody was roaring. It was like... Like, wow, it's really yeah. slowly coming back to some form of um, normalcy. So I, I, I totally agree with the two. And I just think, too, that some of the things that we have struggled with and continue to struggle with, you know, people are still getting um, COVID. So people are still slightly fearful. Um, you know, you have to be vaccinated in New York, in New York City school systems to work. So that's the only great thing is that. But I do have a lot of parents that are not, right? And they, you know, I have one specific family that still hasn't sent their child uh, back to school and is considering of and in the process of doing homeschooling. And, I, you know, as much as I try to speak to the family, it's still, up their, it's still their choice. And one of the main concerns a lot of my families had, especially when we returned, was keeping the mask on. Right, so I work with D75 K to 8 school. My students have uh, multiple disabilities, from autism to you know emotionally disturbed, and, and it just continues. Intellectually disabled continues. So having them keep a mask on 
was a job and a task in itself. Having them do the six feet was like, it, it didn't happen because I have students that need to be toilet, toileted and et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of parents were fearful, but what we did is we did the best to, to keep that, you know, that, that distance. We did the best to spread them out. We did the best making sure, like, if, you know, the weather was good, the windows were down or we had humidifiers, whatever it may be, right? We did the best, and what I, what I did to make other families feel comfortable is I had town hall meetings, and I let parents speak of what they saw when they came into school. Did people get COVID? Of course. People are still getting it. But what is great now is that, you know, once, if it's your choice and once you are vaccinated, the death, the death rate has, is not as high. So I think the fear is still there, but it has definitely decreased. And just to piggyback off what they were saying, I think people are truly ready to get back to something that is just like we're together again and we got each other and we can do this. People want it. People are yearning it. And um, I just wanted to touch a base on, you know, students communicating with each other. I think that is something that a lot of uh, my students also lost too. We have school during the summer and we even have after school. We just had a whole program that we did a presentation today. So we had summarizing after school. And when I did my walkthroughs and observations, I saw a lot of students not speaking to each other. They'd be sitting next to each other, but they're not speaking to each other. Right. And I'd be like, you know, I would look at this and I'd be like, what is going on? I'm like, teachers, they need to talk to each other. The teachers, you're talking to them because you're always talking to them. But we got to make sure there's form of student discussion. So that happened to actually be one of my in, instructional focus areas this year, you know, looking at Danielson and saying, you know, student question and discussion. Students have to speak to each other. And I think it's something that we I have to, I know in my school community, have to hold back into. And when I sit back and I look at the data and I look and I and I and I think of like you know what we just went through I'm like wow it's many times that they really did you know for a long period of time they didn't really speak to each other you know mm -hmm. they really didn't so now it's like teaching a whole new thing and teaching the teachers to teach it and yeah. making sure they implement it during their instruction so you know I definitely want to piggyback and it's, it's so true it's so true so yeah well, you know, you know, you you you're talking about uh, the teachers. I want to pivot now. You know, we we a lot of this we know that it has been difficult for students, and don't want to neglect that um, the time has been difficult, um, uh, particularly returning for a lot of adults. And and I've you know I've personally seen through the work that I do in schools and and with school uh, personnel. Uh, that, you know, a lot of people are struggling, even still, you know, you know, there's some people, you know, even myself, I'm I always saying post pandemic, and it's like, well, is it really, um, you know, post pandemic, um, you know, we behave as if it is, um, but uh, it's not really clear. Uh, but there have been so many reports. And I, I, I want to hear what you what some of your concerns are about this. But there have been so many reports uh, of teachers leaving the profession and um, that there's going to be a, a even more people um, that are just not going to go into education, given what has happened. Um, what's been your experience and, and why, if you can share some of the stories you hear about why people are leaving the profession? Yes. I, um, like I said, I started, this is our second day of school, and it's the first time in my 12 years as an administrator, seven of which I've been a principal, where I started the school year without classroom teachers. 
So it is something that has been very difficult. And when I've, you know, talked to the teachers, what are some of the reasons? The reasons, um, part of it is uh, financial and, and just the economy. And so Tampa's gotten a little too expensive, so people have had to move out of the state or back home to another city. I've also had people leave because um, of how they're feeling uneasy with some of the politics here in Florida, with some of the laws that have been passed, and, um, and it's not something that they're finding worth it, the stress of it, the financial part of it, not knowing if they are going to be working in a job that protects them for being whoever they are, uh, no matter what the viewpoints are. And so that's something that has resulted in lots of vacancies here in Florida and something that has also impacted me at school. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I can just pick back. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Sinka. You go. Go, 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 go ahead. <laughs> um, so I can say here a lot of people have left because um, they're tired and it's just too much, and they have either lost someone very close to them um, due to COVID or uh, uh, um, or they're moving out of state, or they just can't take it anymore. They just want, they've realized, I've heard stories that people are saying, I just realized I need to live life, right? I have the years. Mm-hmm. I can do it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just done. I've done it. There's no more I can give, and I just want to do something different. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's many reasons. And I think teachers are just, it's just a lot of work. It's a lot of work for administrators to make sure you run a, a school that is proficient to a well-developed, that's a good school. Um, you put in a lot of hours. And if you're putting a lot of hours, that means you're ensuring that your teachers are doing their job and they have to put in a lot of hours. And they have to teach and they got to give quality teaching, which is right. They, you know, students deserve that. But I think many of them, I could speak on my end, that many of them are tired and they just, if they have the years mm-hmm. and they can do it, they're just out. They're just like, I'm done. I'm finished. Mm-hmm. This is thing, and um, I couldn't agree more. I think you know, it just exhaustion is is yeah. a, a real factor. Yeah. But, I, but I also think it's just there's an immense pressure. I mean, I think COVID and, and everything that's been happening for the past few years, like particularly around societal challenges and issues, like if, as, a, as a school leader, I feel immense pressure on so many different facets from, you know, possible school, school shootings to a pandemic yeah. to making mm-hmm. sure young people are graduating and prepared for life after high school. I think there's so many different mm-hmm. facets, and particularly with the educators and, and then with teachers, like what's being asked of everyone um, and seeing it unfold, uh, I think really has played an emotional toll. Um, so now are we worried about, you know, the 150 or however many students you have in your school, but you're also worried about your own personal, you know, again, your your kids and your family. And I think um, what I saw, at least in this year, it's it, – no one wants to have to choose between your own family and, and, and the kids that you serve, but the reality is that that's what many folks had to do when you were spending as much time that was needed to support you know, the students that you have. That meant it was a trade-off that means you weren't spending that time with your own family. And I think it really did make folks reassess. I mean, if COVID didn't make you reassess your own kind of priorities, I don't know what will. Um, right. I think, and I think going out, you know, thinking about pay, exhaustion, all of those things, and um, you know, changing economy and options, I think, you know, the, the skill sets of, 
of educators, I think, are tremendous, right? I think you can go into mm-hmm. so many different fields. And, and if those options are available and uh, and you are thinking, you know, right, trying to find that right balance between, you know, your, your personal life and your professional life, I think, mm-hmm. you know, educators really did, reass- did reassess. But I also think it magnified just the importance of uh, educators themselves. You know, remote instruction, everyone tried to make it work, but it's, there's, it's nothing compared to having a caring adult or caring adults working directly with young people in a classroom, in a school. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the, the hopefully, you know, more of uh, our country and, uh, has seen that, the importance of um, the role that our educators and particularly our teachers played in the lives uh, of our young people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Um, you know, and part of what I, I keep hearing resonate uh, throughout a lot of the comments is that, you know, people are tired and, um, and you know, there there's a, a, a almost a, a emotional exhaustion to what has been happening. And I'm, I've heard that a lot. Um, it was very difficult for a lot of people uh, to do two things at once, you know, so there were initially uh, teachers were expected to, kind of pivot and do online instruction um, that has its own set of methodologies and, and strategies, uh, but pivot and do that um, with little or no training, additional training, I should say. Mm-hmm. And, and then um, in some cases, in many cases, uh, they were expected to do a hybrid version also with little or no additional training. And then uh, further, when students returned, that there was a new level of understanding what needed to happen to kind of re-engage both adults and and children in a uh, uh, a productive learning community. So it was a lot um, going on that really made people tired, as you as you mentioned, seeing. So you know we you know this 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 podcast and radio show is about. Um, solutions too, um, and so I do want to ask you, um, you all, one last question. And and you know, uh, very early in the broadcast, I, one of you mentioned you know social emotional learning, social emotional training, um, something that we've been doing in the program that I direct uh, since it started, you know, 17 years ago or so. Um, but but you know, and and that's something that people are doing a lot of now. They're investing more in making sure that we know how to identify when with um, when students and adults are struggling socially, emotionally. Um, and so, I want to ask you, uh, given the 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 job now of school leadership, because we have a lot of people who listen who are aspiring school leaders. Um, but given, you know, kind of the new requirements and all of you went to your, through your training programs at different times, um, my question is, what is it that you think school leaders need now more than ever before in their toolbox? What is it that you, you maybe once upon a time wasn't as important, but it, it, it may have been important? But right now, what is what are if you could give us kind of the secret sauce to success, um, or at least part of it um, that 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 leaders need in their toolbox? What is it? 
so I guess I can go first. Keisha from New York. I can say that you have to know how to turn off. And it's hard being a, a school leader and truly, you know, putting that phone away, truly, um, you know, like not thinking of what can I do more or better. Um, I'm on vacation and I'm still thinking or I'm still working, right? I'm still checking emails. I'm still doing things. And I remember I could kind of tie this into um, Barbara had did a con uh, session and it really talked about, you know, like, Self, like really mindfulness for yourself as leaders. I don't think we do enough of that. And the job can burn you out. Mm. <laughs> it really can. Because I, I feel like in the morning I'm, I'm thinking about it, in the afternoon I'm thinking about it. Every day I'm home with my kids. My kids say, oh, my God, you're always working. You're always working. And it's because I do love it. But I think that it, and maybe I'm feeling a little bit more now because I'm here until 6, you know, 6.30 sometimes, and, you know, during the, the regular school session, I'm here until 6.30 sometimes. So it can really burn you out, and it really can, you know, um, have you not spending as much time as with your family. So one thing I would say is, is balance, is really, really balance, balancing the school and balancing your home, really trying to find that balance and taking time for you, real time where you shut things down and you really, you really have to fill your cup, right, because your cup is dry and empty. How can you give? Um, so that, that's something that I think I need to do more of. And, I mean, I hear school leaders talk. I have a lot of school leader friends, um, and they love it. But it can, if, if you don't really pace yourself, you can truly get burnt out, truly get burnt out. So that's, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I definitely agree with Keisha. This is Kelsey from Tampa. You can definitely get burned out. And, during these very challenging times, while we're having to take care of other people, you know, a lot of us had to remind ourselves to take care of ourselves. So yeah. I, unfortunately, was someone who had COVID when it first initially came out. And I, you know, recovered fine. And it wasn't until last year, around January, that um, symptoms came back to the point that I couldn't work full time any longer. And so I had to really pause in my life and say, what am I doing to myself? I've been focused for two years working to protect everybody else and take care of the community and everyone who's counting on me, but I have to make sure that I am okay. And so it really has um, helped me see, like what Keisha was saying, that I need that balance in my life, that you do need to book those cruises and give you something to look forward to. <laughs> yeah. So I, get it. I, I get ready to go. I get you, I get you girl. <laughs> so I have them ready to go because, you know, it's important for us to take care of ourselves. It's also helped me understand that really um, a school leader needs to be very strong in, in establishing procedures and structures on their campus because if we're not there, we want our programs and our, our, our vision to continue. And so I was lucky in that those systems were in place. And so my staff was fine without me when, I, you know, I had to take care of myself. So, you know, school leaders really need to have that, take care of themselves and having that balance, and also really make sure that they have skill sets in building relationships because when people trust you and believe in you, they're going to really 
work it through with you, be problem solvers, be people who are going to be, bring joy to the school. And when they do that, it, it just makes working at a school site so much better. Mm-hmm. This is a thing I agree with both, uh, both of you. I, I think, you know, there are a few things just kind of piggybacking on that. You know, I think time management, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think school leaders are always having to figure out where they spend their time and on, on what. Um, but really thinking about, you know, how you spend your time, um, how you manage it, how you create periods of deliberate thinking where you can actually think about kind of the overall strategy, bigger picture, um, I think is really important and and, and and figuring out how to operationalize things. I think oftentimes, you know, there's this, like, you got to do this, but how you operationalize it in a school um, particularly, you know, within the nuances of each of the schools is really important, not only for execution, but for sustainability, right? Like, so that if you're not in the building, those things are running seamlessly. And then I think something that's out of our control, um, but I think is so important is, um, you know, we, we work with our district's offices, and, you know, I think one of the things that we're always having to figure out is, like, everything feels high stakes, but everything can't be high stakes because we're not going to get to everything, and then that's mm-hmm. definitely not at the quality that we would all like. So mm-hmm. for everything that's being asked of us, something's got to be taken away. All of these are trade-offs, and that trade-off can't be every individual, you know, uh, school leader making these arbitrary decisions, right? Because everyone's kind of taking it seems like I think I can get away with this, or like I can't do this. And I think you know there's an immense pressure there for school leaders around like, okay, what you know what can't I do or what do I need to be doing? And, you know, and I know that's tied with courage and all of those things, but I think particularly as you're seeing new school leaders, as you may mention, um, that's a real issue. Like mm-hmm. for anyone who started during this pandemic, like everything was high stakes. So yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they try to get to everything um, and that's impossible. And that's a, that's a, you know, again, a, a pathway to two to three years and you're out. So yeah. I think, from a district level, really have to be very thoughtful about what you're asking school leaders and educators in the schools to do, like what is top priority, that everything else, you know, would be nice to do, but if you don't get to it, that's okay. Yeah, wow. Thank you. Thank you all so very much. You know, we we are already um, 45 minutes in, and, um, you know, we you know, it's so hard, especially – with great conversations like this to do, um, you know, to keep this at 30 minutes. And um, I just appreciate all of you with what you've shared. And I'm sure there have been people out there that have, have really uh, benefited from, from listening in on our conversation. Um, so just wishing all of you the best for um, a successful opening of the school year. I know New York hasn't opened yet, but I think Tampa is, right? Yes, we are. Yeah. Second day today. <laughs> okay, second day. So um, just wishing you the best um, and, and continued success. Uh, all three of you, I know, have been very successful in your roles as principals. Um, and, and so thank you for sharing again. And um, I'm sure I'll see you um, all again soon. But until then, uh, go well, stay well. Thank you so much for this thank opportunity. You so much.